We are building the motherfucking queendom, and I am so jazzed. Welcome to the queendom. Your host, Lauren Mortacini. Well, hello, everyone. Oh my goodness, I am so excited for this little passion project that I am working on. I'm also scared shitless. Uh, My name is Lauren, and I am a closeted writer. I have been a writer my entire life, but I've been far too scared shitless to actually put my words out there. I have been on the last year or so on this copywriting endeavor, which is basically ghostwriting. And I eventually realized that me wanting to write under the names of other people or writing blogs for other people, it was just like another way of me hiding. I was in the sacred sexuality sector. So I've been studying a lot about this concept of sex and spirituality and the divine feminine. And it's taboo. It's, it's especially in our society, it's not something that is talked about a lot and that's changing. And I'm so excited to be a part of that shift. And as a writer, I have these ideas uh, for books and for projects, but again, I've been so nervous to pull that trigger. So this podcast just kind of grew organically from that. And I'm challenging myself here because I realized that what's the one thing that I like more than writing? Fucking talking. So here we are. And this is what we're doing now. And I'm so excited about it. I'm so excited to exist in this day and age. I know that there is so much shit happening in this world, but there is also something so exciting happening. And that is the fact that women are glowing the fuck up on a massive scale. There is a global movement happening. Women are becoming more confident, louder, bolder, more supportive of each other, freer in their sexuality. Can I get an amen? Our circles are becoming more diverse. We're becoming more connected. And collectively, we are becoming more powerful and more radiant than ever fucking before. Because for too long, this divide and conquer strategy has kept women clawing and fighting and competing against each other and pissing all over each other's fires. But this strategy only works when women are insecure and made to feel small. And it's a cycle that keeps them insecure and, and feeling small. But you know what? We're on to that shit now. And you know what else we're on to is this idea of good girl conditioning. Uh, this idea that we are supposed to be ladylike. We have bought into this bullshit idea that words like classy and poised, put together, nice, are compliments. But... You know what those words sound like to me? Those words sound like compliance. Who taught us that being a good girl 
or ladylike or a princess is just something that we should aspire to be. I don't want to be a fucking princess. I am a queen. I don't want men to come wake me up out of my sleep or save me from my ivory tower. I am more than capable of saving my own self. (laughs) And also, who decided what it means to be ladylike? Am I... I have actually been called unladylike because I really like the word fuck. I like... My language is very colorful. Does that make me less of a lady? Who decided that? If I get angry, if I talk about my sexuality, does that make me any less of a lady or worthy of being treated with respect? But even as we're supposed to be these these good girls and ladylike, we're still sexualized in this crazy way. And we have been for all of time. Um, A lot of our narratives around sex would suggest that we have sex for men rather than with them. And if you're not sure about this one, just have a think on how much we valued and learned about the female orgasm versus the males. Think about it growing up. We are very aware of how men have orgasms. It's, it's natural. We know it from a very young age. But women, when do we learn to pleasure ourselves? This is why you have 16-year-olds fucking themselves with carrots and eggplants and shit and rubbing their vaginas on couch arms, trying to figure out, what is this? This feels good. Most women don't even realize that there are up to seven different types of orgasms that we can have. There's there's clitoral, which is the most popular. There's intervaginal. There's even a, there's an anal. There's a urethral. Uh, there's a cervical orgasm. Now that one is like the mythical unicorn of orgasms because it takes a lot of mental and physical work to achieve. But why aren't we learning this shit? When I hear a woman say that she can't have set a, an orgasm during sex, it's insane to me. If you have the female parts, you are capable of achieving all these different types of orgasms. It just takes work. It takes knowing your body. It takes dropping in. Again, why are we not fucking taught about these things? And then as women, when we start to explore, when we start to drop into our sexuality, when we begin to use it for our own benefit, we're shamed. Uh, We're slut shamed. We are made to feel that we are too much or that we're not enough. Again, we're not ladylike if we talk about our sexual desires. And as women, if we are too excited about having sex or consent immediately or too soon, what are we called? We're called easy, which isn't that fucking crazy. I actually saw something recently that talked about how men don't like consensual sex. That's why if women consent too soon, we're called easy. How fucking crazy is that? Like, oh, it's much better for me to say no 15 times and then to finally give in. Or it's better if I act like I don't want it. It's better if I make you chase. Like, what? (laughs) should it be hard? I, I don't understand this. It's fucking insane. We have carried around this shame and guilt for far too fucking long. And you know what I say to all of that? I say fuck it. Fuck it. The movement that's happening right now is the movement of the motherfucking queendom. 
This is Thy Queendom Come, and I am your host, Lauren Mordocini. This is so exciting for me because what could be more exciting than being a part of and helping to build the royal queendom? Literally nothing. Nothing is the answer. But what is the royal queendom? And what does it mean to be a part of this queendom? Every single being on this planet has this feminine energy within them. Obviously, we are all on a spectrum of masculine and feminine, but however you identify, this feminine energy is what's responsible for processing our emotions, our sensitivity, compassion, sensuality, and creativity. That is how our feminine side is, is that's where we drop into those things. And this feminine energy is so powerful. It's completely electrifying. It reeks of power. It's a magnet and it has nothing to do with looks. It has everything to do with the energy that one pours out. I mean, think about a woman that you know who just takes up space. Like when she walks into a room, people know it. It's the type of woman who walks in and everyone is just like, who the fuck is that? I had an experience recently with one of these women. I was in Costa Rica for New Year's and on New Year's Eve, I was sitting there talking to these two beautiful Italian men and in walks this woman with long black hair and this green silky dress. And I mean, I was stopped in my tracks. Mid-sentence was just like, who the fuck is this woman? And it had nothing to do with the way that she looked, though she was extremely stunning It was the fact that she had this confidence, this aura about her. And it's a true confidence, right? It's, I feel like a lot of of people have this like fake it till you make it confidence. And it comes out when when you're confronted with other women, right? This is where jealousy and envy and judgment come from, is not truly being confident in yourself. Because if you're truly confident in who you are and what you bring to the table, you aren't threatened by the beauty of another person, of another woman. Um, I knew I needed to know this woman and I ended up becoming friends with her. And we spent most of the night in the bathroom talking about the divine feminine and our sexuality and our power. Um, Everyone has this feminine energy within them, this power, vagina power, pussy power, whatever you want to call it. It's just whether or not we've realized and accessed and tapped into it. And do not worry, my dudes. I am absolutely not leaving you out of this conversation. In my ideas, it's my hope for the queendom that we can truly see and appreciate men as our allies. And first and first foremost, this denial of feminine energy within our men is where toxic masculinity, this machismo concept is born, right? Like I remember the first time I went to Europe and I experienced men who are much more in touch with their feminine side. I mean, look at Harry Styles, for example, with his dress and his, his, his fingernails. And, um, it's just in, for some reason in America, we have, killed the feminine energy within our men. And, and it, it becomes extremely toxic because our men, generally speaking, of course, in my experience and in the experiences of women I know, our men really have 
a hard time dropping into their emotions and communicating them and turning inwards and also receiving because these things are very much a quality of feminine energy, whereas masculine energy is the projective, the the giving, the expansive, the outward, which is, of course, necessary, right? This is yin and yang. We want to be able to find this balance between both. But if you can't drop in and turn that light inwards and embrace your tenderness and your intuitiveness, things fall out of whack. Things get out of balance. This is, this becomes toxic. It causes breakdowns in communications and relationships. Taking this further, why this conversation is also important for our men is if you want to attract a queen in your life, you better be bringing that king energy, baby. We are no longer fucking with this ill-bred Neanderthal peasant fuckboy energy, romantically or platonically. You guys are marrying women, you're raising daughters, you're in relationship with women all day, every day, so it's time to rise the fuck up. It's time to rise up, my guys. And I'm not shitting on you. I love men. I'm, I really love men. It's why I have pretty much dedicated my life to talking about sex and intimacy and the way that people come together. I think men are amazing, but it's time to do the work. And it's happening. It's happening slowly. This is all a part of the queendom movement. And side side note, this is definitely not a podcast to discuss the intricacies of what it means to be a man or the most divine, most masculine king version of yourself. This is not that show simply because I don't have a dick. However, we are going to at some point have a conversation around redefining what it means to be a king because the term is used in so many different ways in our society. And just for um, definition's sake, your feminine side is responsible for the nonlinear thinking, creativity, receiving, and processing emotions like anger and sadness. And in order to be a king, you must be able to drop into those things. So diving into your female energy as a man is so fucking important. But that takes work and it takes coming up against the things that our society has told you you must be in order to be a man. So what I'm saying is that while, yes, we will talk about that, in order to fully deconstruct your experience as a man and to grow, I suggest finding some really amazing male or those who identify as male leaders that you can learn from and follow from. And also fucking therapy. Therapy is important, not just for men, for women as well, and literally everyone in between. And let me just add this before completely moving on. If you are a man in any type of relationship with any woman, I dare you to encourage and support in radical ways the journeys of women to recognizing their most powerful, radiant, and alive self. And you fucking watch how the world around her and you changes Because when you hype us the fuck up and aren't slowing us down with your toxic masculinity bullshit and fuckboy charades, it is infinitely easier for us to soar. And when women soar, we take you with us because we are nurturers. We soar in our careers, in our relationships, in our sex. Everything gets better when we are on our queen shit. And that is good for you. Trust me. And also, every man 
could benefit from dropping into that more feminine side, the softer side of you. Women crave that. Yes, we want to be thrown around in bed and we want to be, you know, we want our protector and we want our our king. But we also want to know that you can be soft with us and that you can be tender and that you're processing your emotions in a healthy way and communicating them to us in a healthy way. Because if not, the, the relationship is going to break down. The words queen and queendom are honestly probably my most used words of this last year. Being a queen means taking ownership of your life, being your own ultimate ruler and recognizing that the divine literally lives within you and makes up every cell in your body. And that's why you're in charge, not society, not other people, not shame or guilt or trauma, religion, or your family. You are a bad bitch. I am the queen of my life and you are the queen of yours, but We grow up learning how to be as women, what to say and not say, do or not do, how to be and not be, how to dress and how not to. And there are a lot of repercussions when you choose to exist differently. And honestly, that leads a lot of us to carrying around a shit ton of guilt and shame when we don't live up to society's perfect expectations. We're slut shamed, we're mom shamed, we're job shamed, we're shamed all over the fucking place, but we're done with all of that. Personally, I have no interest in being the good or nice girl. Kind? Yes. Good? Nice? Hell no. Because I don't like what those words celebrate. When someone says, oh, she's such a nice girl, I think of a woman with her palms in her lap, smiling, speaking when spoken to, who definitely does not speak up about her needs in bed or even really acknowledge her desire for sex who follows the rules without ever questioning why they fucking exist in the first place. That's just what I think of when I hear good or nice. (laughs) I'm just sitting here wondering if anybody's ever called me a good girl or a nice girl. (laughs) Probably not, which is fucking fine. I don't want to be a good or a nice girl. There are so many things in this world that I would rather be than good or nice. I want to be fucking spicy. I want to be, I want to be courageous. I want to be bold. I want to, I want to make people uncomfortable with how not good and nice that I am. (laughs) Kind. Absolutely. Let's not mistake nice for kind. I can be kind while also breaking the rules and stigmas and shattering that fucking glass ceiling and kicking off the norms that don't sit well with me. So I'm just going to talk to you guys about my own journey. (laughs) Oh God. Listen, I know I'm a queen, but my crown falls off every damn day or at least gets a little crooked. It has been a fucking ride guys. And you know, that's why I am talking about this because the journey to the queendom sometimes can feel anything but royal. It's fucking messy. You know, for a queen, our light is our crown itself. But the brighter the light, the bigger the shadow. And as queens, we don't turn and run from that. We don't run from our shadows. We don't run from our darkness. We turn into it. We embrace it because that's how we learn. That's how we grow. 
That's how we become to actually love ourselves truly. It really is this paradox that the more we dive into our darkness and own it and investigate it, the brighter we're able to emit our light and shine. For me, this queenship, is that a word? <laughs> queenship? It's definitely a word now. We're going we're gonna to keep it. This queenship journey has meant taking stock and evaluating my own beliefs surrounding what it means to be a woman, my beliefs surrounding sex, my own sexuality, my creativity, and what's considered normal. And if I even want to be considered normal in this society, which the answer to that last one is a hard fuck no. This journey has led me all over the world, even before I realized what journey I was on. I have created unbelievable messes, guys, all the way from here to East Africa. No bullshit. <laughs> like, I have engaged in some of the most toxic relationships a person could. I have come in like a tornado into different cities, different jobs, people's lives, and left in a minute with total absolute destruction in my wake. I have dived into the absolute pits and crevices of my own existence just to understand myself more and humans in general. So I guess we can just get right to the juice. Being a queen, at least to me, means being in touch with your sexual energy, owning it, honoring your right for pleasure and experiences. In our society, we really value being busy. We value being tired. We value being stressed out. Isn't that fucking mad that when someone asks you how you are, it's almost like a badge of honor to be like, oh God, I'm so stressed. Oh man, I'm so busy. Like that's not how we were supposed to live guys. And you know what I'm always brought back to when I'm thinking about our right to pleasure is the woman's clitoris. <laughs> Genuinely guys, the clitoris has one biological function and that is pleasure. Can you imagine that we have an organ on our body and its sole purpose is for us to experience pleasure? That right there tells me that source, God, the universe created us to enjoy. We were created to experience the, this pleasure. It is our birthright. I myself have had a rather colorful sexual journey uh, from rainbow roads to dark caves <laughs> to glistening mountaintops that I probably fell off of. Sex in the way that humans come together has just always fascinated me. I literally remember being in kindergarten, daydreaming about my after-school care teacher, Mr. Michael. Like, guys, I was five. <laughs> I got in trouble in kindergarten and grade school for kissing boys under the tables and at recess, like, more than any child I've ever known or heard of. And I was a teacher. Like, I was around children. I know. I know. Can you guys imagine me as a teacher, <laughs> like working with children? Um, <laughs> anyways, yeah, I just, I was just a really sexual kid. I mean, nothing, I, I, nothing happened to me. I realize when I say that, I realize when I say that people could be like, yo, like what, who hurt you? Um, but no, it's, it's really not that. I was just always really fascinated with the way that people come together and the way people are attracted to each other, why they're attracted to each other. I mean, guys, my Barbies were always naked doing some freaky shit. And in second or third grade, my best friend and I at the time would role play and shit would get like super weird, but we were just exploring, you know? I was fascinated 
with the physical body and how humans collide. Um, and to add on top of this, I was absolutely fucking boy crazy. Before my first grade orientation, like meet the teacher, mind you, I was at a private Christian school. And I remember before going, I put on this tiny pair of shorts and this purple crop top that I would have never been allowed to wear to meet the teacher. Are you kidding? Um, but I did. I stood in front of my mirror and I like literally slow-mo walked into my mirror as if I was the motherfucking girl next door. And I'd get super close, flip my hair and say, hi, Josh. <laughs> Josh was my crush in kindergarten. Well, like one of them. I actually had two in the same class and I had after school care with one of them and the other one was behind me in line. And I would ask both of them every day, which one they wanted me to marry. And they both said themselves, of course. So, um, obviously none of that worked out. (laughs) So here I am not only fascinated by human connection in general, but also boys, boy crazy as fuck. Needless to say, I feel like I have been this like horny sex crazed maniac my entire life. And I thought that something was wrong with me. I grew up in the South, um, in Mississippi actually. And honestly, a lot of the narratives that go that that surround sex are born a lot from Christianity and religion. And honestly, it's kind of oppressive is what I've came to find out. Um, I'm actually in a couple of episodes, I'm going to be having a friend of my on and we're a friend of mine on who grew up in the church and worked at a church. And um, we're going to kind of discuss the, the dynamics there, which I'm really excited about. But I, I felt like something was wrong with me, you know, because I wanted to talk about sex and, and sexuality and, and myself in, in that. But it just didn't feel like there was really space for that. And that's when I, you know, eventually moved out to California about over 10 years ago and just went on my own journey. About five or six years ago, I started traveling abroad and spending a good amount of time in Europe and Africa and Asia. And that's where I really started to realize that there is not a single narrative around sex. Now, mind you, there are still many places in the world where sex is very taboo to talk about and women do experience extreme oppression. But in places like um, Spain or France or other European countries where the woman's body is not so sexualized. That's why nude beaches and topless beaches can be a thing. Uh, But at the same time, sexuality is much more fluid and talked about and taught to younger people. It's much less of the forbidden fruit aspect. People are taught about sex at a younger age in a healthier way versus what I find here is that we learn about it a little bit in school growing up. But other than that, we only experience sex through like pop culture. It's used to sell fucking cheeseburgers. And then we're also told that it's shameful and bad and not to do it and that it's dirty and unpure. I mean, a lot of parents don't even talk to their children about sex, but it is the most natural thing. Sex is the most natural thing that that humans can do. It creates life. It is our life force. And yet 
our youth are left to learning about it at school from other kids or from fucking movies or, again, when they hear about it in church as something they should not do. But when you tell a 15-year-old not to do something, what is it that they are going to do? They are going to do that very fucking thing. And now they're not doing it safely because they haven't been taught how to. I mean, this is where so many traumatic situations come into play. It's not a coincidence that we have higher teen pregnancy and STD rates than a lot of the developed world. And also, if we didn't talk about sex as this, well, if we didn't hype it up in pop culture and then talk about it like this dirty, terrible thing within our homes and within the church, then maybe we could actually talk about what a powerful thing it is, what a beautiful thing it is that we were given this gift to be able to connect with other people. And if we actually taught our young people to see it as something sacred versus something that is is demonized or put on this pedestal, then maybe we would grow up learning how to have a healthier relationship with ourselves and with sex, how to respect ourselves in that space. So eventually what I came to realize is that it's not my desire for sex that's fucked up. It's not me. It's our perception as a whole of sex that's completely fucked. You know, I felt ashamed of these urges and desires and I tried to push them down instead of exploring them in a healthy way. And because what you resist fucking persist, it blew up in my face every single time. So in the last several years, instead of pushing the side of me away, I began to embrace it and investigate it. And here's the thing. We will definitely get into my stories for sure. Some of them are absolutely hilarious and others are so cringy. But hey, like these experiences caused me to deep dive into and question some of the most intimate parts of our human nature. I feel like my sexuality has challenged me my entire life. Um, It's been one of the greatest gifts, but also one of my greatest struggles because I just couldn't understand why I was this way. Why do people come together? Why do they stay together? Can you have multiple soulmates? Is monogamy even realistic anymore now that we're living past the age of 45? And if it is which I believe it can be, is it the only way to relate romantically? What other ways are there? What are the different narratives that exist around relationships? And what parts of yourself will you come into contact with within these different narratives? I have had so many incredible romantic connections. Some of them lasted hours and others over a decade. Some have been intertwined throughout my life in different seasons Um, And some were island romances that were just one and dones. But these connections are not just about sex. Granted, the sex is fun and that tension, the push and pull leading up to it is like an absolute drug for me. But guys, it's not just about fucking. And that's another thing that our society's taught us, that intimacy and sexuality just means sex. And it doesn't. Literally, one of the most erotic, sensual moments of my life was when I was in Bali I was hanging out with some friends that I had just met, and there was this really attractive Swiss guy. We're going to call him the flower child. This man, like, saves bugs and gets excited watching grass grow, so I just feel that this name is very fitting. He agreed. We're we're still good friends, actually. Um, So anyways, a group of them went to surf, and the flower child and I stayed behind hanging out at the pool, and at this point, we had not been intimate at all, at all, not so much as a kiss. 
and we're in the pool and we just dropped into the most intense eye gazing session I have literally ever experienced. It was easily like 90 minutes long and the time passed while we just, we moved around the pool, we would get closer and then further apart, not saying a single word. Sometimes our hands would reach out and synchronistically they would touch each other and then we would pull back and then we would move. And guys, I can literally close my eyes and go back there and I can still see the depths of his eyes. Our souls were literally communicating and that's pretty much the only way that I can explain it. When we came out of it, we both were just like, whoa, (laughs) that was like having a full body orgasm. I felt so seen and as though our subconscious minds were having conversations that our conscious minds could not understand, but absolutely benefited from. I felt love, like actual true love, human to human. We connected and it didn't matter that we barely knew each other. So when I talk about sex and intimacy, I'm not talking about going out and laying it down on every Tom, Dick, and Harry, though if that's your thing, go off. You're not finding any judgment here. (laughs) And also, full disclosure, the flower child and I did end up having sex. A few days later, we snuck into this resort in Bali and found this day bed that was at the top of a cliff. Um, And under it are these world famous waves called the impossibles. You could hear them crashing. The stars were literally ripping apart the sky to watch us. The moon was there so bright. We went skinny dipping. It was this incredible experience with this person that I felt like I had known. Um, I felt like our our souls knew each other. And it was such a beautiful way to explore sex and intimacy that wasn't going out to the bar and just fucking some random dude. Like we were totally sober and we had already experienced this level of connection that just made the sex that much better. It was fucking special. And you know, we were both going to be traveling soon. It's not like we were talking about entering into a relationship or getting married or holding on to this connection forever. We were just so present there with each other, experiencing the pleasure that I believe we were born to experience. And like I said, the flower child and I are still great friends. He is across the planet in Switzerland, but I know that we will always be friends because we just established this safe space for each other right off the bat. But I'm also not saying that every sexcapade of mine has been this earth-shattering, mind-blowing, soul-bending, vagina explosion situation. I have fucked some frogs, let me tell you. (laughs) So speaking of frogs, I guess we're really going to start with a bang here. And I'm going to tell you guys about the first frog that I really dated that never turned into a prince, which by the fucking way, who taught us that we should go around kissing frogs and hoping that they turn into princes? Baby, no, a frog is a frog. A frog will always be a frog. Like, absolutely not. Is that Walt Disney that wrote that bullshit? Because I'm going to write a letter. Like, it's not It's not healthy. Not healthy at all to think that you can change a frog into a prince just simply by giving them, you know, your pretty lips. Absolutely not. All right, guys, hang on to your bed sheets because this story gets absolutely fucking crazy. So I was 
16 years old. It was actually, today is, oh, wow. Oh my God. The synchronicity. Guys, today is February 26th and I met this guy on February 24th, 2011. Our first date was the next night on the 25th and on the 26th, exactly 10 years ago today. Wow, that's crazy. Happy motherfucking anniversary to me. 10 years ago today is when we entered into a quote unquote relationship and we became an item. We spent all of our time together. Now, a little bit of backstory. My mom and I had basically just blown up our family um, in Mississippi and moved out west to California. If I, <laughs> I feel like I don't need to explain why we did that. I mean, we left Mississippi to move to California. Um, but I was 16. I had already finished high school. And I also was not 18, so I couldn't get a job. So I didn't have any friends. I didn't know anybody in this in this new town that I was in. So I was going to the gym like twice a day. It's pretty much the only thing I could do. So I'm. this is where I met. We're going to call him... Mr. Deception. So I met Mr. Deception at the gym. His first opening line to me, which <laughs> so original, was like, what's your ethnicity? <laughs> like, yeah, I haven't heard that one before. Honestly, if any guy comes at me with that these days, I'm just like, mm, vomit. Um, I understand it's a, it's a fair question. I, I look, you know, a little bit ambiguous, but trauma triggered. Um, so I start dating this guy. We spend all of our time together. He, for every month, we were together collective about a year and a half. And every month for one week out of the month, he would go to Vegas to quote unquote model. Guys, I'm just telling you right now, this story gets fucking crazy. (laughs) So we started dating in February. In May, his lease is up. And he just kind of like comes to my mom and I's apartment and just basically brings his shit and like never leaves. Um, Now, my mom and I at the time, my mom and I have always been very close, but this was a really stressful time in our relationship. Like we had just left everything to move to California um, to kind of for both of us to live more authentically and to live in a space that in an environment that we felt was truer to us. But you know, we did break apart our family and my brother was in Mississippi. So my mom was having a really hard time and I was as well, but Mr. Deception moved in. And this is kind of when things got a little wacky. He really wanted to be my everything. He wanted to be my source of money. He wanted to be my like only friend. He wanted, he was the youngest of 14 Romanian children. And he basically wanted me to do exactly what all of the other women did in his family, which was sit at home and pop out babies and basically be a homemaker. Now, if that's your thing, go off. But that has never been my thing. But I did see myself starting to shift. And actually what I was doing is I was starting to settle because I was scared. I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what I was doing. And Mr. Deception got extremely manipulative, extremely quick. He 
my mom started to catch on to his bullshit, but because I was so brainwashed, I could like basically ignored her and he put a wedge between us. And so half, you know, several months into the relationship, it was probably like July or August. I was feeling suffocated by him and I asked him to leave my apartment and he did. But being the dumb little bitch that I am, two days later, I went with him. (laughs) Yeah, I literally kicked him out of my apartment and then I moved into one with him. Like, definition of fucking mad. So we're living together. We're playing house. We've got the bank accounts and the dogs and um, the furniture. I'm 17, by the way. (laughs) I'm 17 years old. This is crazy to me. Um, but again, every month for a week, he would go to Vegas. And at this point, towards the end of 2011, right before I turned 18, we were talking about getting married. I had a ring on my finger that he had gotten me on my, you know, on my left ring finger. And not only that, but he was also encouraging me to get off of my birth control. He was ready to literally impregnate me. But as I was getting closer to turning 18, I started to kind of wake up and realize that I was not being true to myself. There were so many things I wanted to do aside from getting married and having kids. And at this point, I'm about to be 18 years old and sign myself up for this. That was just not who I am. Even now, 10 years later, I still don't know if the traditional sense of idea of marriage is something that I will have or or want for my life. I think that if I do meet someone and I believe that we can come together and partner in life in a way that is going to feed and serve both of us, and not just romantically, for me to want a life partner with someone We've got to be able to feed each other's passions and I want to be able to brainstorm. I want to be able to like get off with this person on the shit that makes me tick. And further, if I feel like at some point I could procreate a, uh, with another human and create a little person without adding a, just a shit ton of trauma to this world, if I feel like I meet someone that I could raise a good human with, then and only then am I actually going to consider partnering in life with someone. I feel like from a young age, we romanticize getting married and playing house and having kids. And it gets to a point that we're supposed to follow this path of life that has been set out for us. And we become so desperate to fill this box that it gets to a point we'll let anybody fill it instead of taking the time to explore who the fuck am I? What do I actually want? And so this ends up being, you know, 20 years down the road, you look at your partner and it's like, I, I never figured out who I am because I was just so ready to fill this box. And I feel like I I knew this from a young age. I knew that I would not be married young. Um, And I, I just, I felt myself shifting here. And I just remember sitting there one day And looking over at him and being like, is this really it? Is this really it for me? Do I, is this really going to be the last man that I have sex with in my life? And 
as I neared my 18th birthday, I felt the pressure and I started to kind of push back a little bit. And that's when he got really manipulative, really pushy. Um, It just became extremely toxic. The fights, I mean, it was just not good. And so when I turned 18, I got a job at a restaurant. I was a host and I also signed up for classes at a college. And one day in April, he was in Vegas doing his modeling. And I like went out with some girlfriends bowling or something and he lost his shit. And I was just so done. And I think because I had started to make some friends, I started to get my power back, which is another reason why I think that the queendom is so important. When, if had I had women around me, especially the women that I have in my life now, had these women been around me, there's just absolutely no way that I would have fallen prey to this guy. Because as soon as I started to make friends and as soon as I started to like feel like I could handle my own, I realized this is not what I want. And so I started to feel suffocated. I told him I was going to go stay at my mom's. And that when he got back from Vegas, that we probably needed to talk. So he got back on a Monday night and I picked him up and I told him that I think we needed to end things. I think it needed to be over or at least that we needed to take a break. I told him that I was going to stay in our apartment until I could find my own place. Because again, my mom and I's relationship had not totally repaired yet. But guys, I was 18 years old working at a, as a hostess making minimum wage there's in Southern California. Like there's no way I could have found my own place. The next day on Tuesday, I, after work went over to some friend's house and we smoked and we're hanging out and laughing and I get home, I'm all giddy. And he could just tell that a weight had been lifted off of my shoulders. I mean, I felt lighter. I can still feel how much lighter I felt in that moment. And he sat me down and said, hi, hey, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. He crisscrossed sitting on the bed, looks at me and says, I had an affair this weekend. (laughs) No shit. Like says, I had an affair this weekend. So I get upset. I am absolutely livid. I'm in so much pain. And I made him tell me every single detail of this experience that he had with this girl over the weekend in Vegas. He told me about how he fucked her in the ass, how he did cocaine off of her ass, which I was completely unaware that he even did cocaine. (laughs) I had no idea that that was something that, that he did when he was, you know, out working. (laughs) I sat there all night and I cried and I think I wanted him to like beg for me back. I think I wanted him to feel bad. That's why I wanted him to tell me all the details. You know, a bitch loves pain. I just love just putting the dagger in my heart and like twisting it. Um, I think humans in general, we have a love affair with pain, but he sat there and he told me these details and he slept on the couch while I packed all of my shit. And the next morning I had my mom come pick up my dogs, help me get my shit, and I moved back in with her. Now, guys, this is not a normal cheating story. You just wait. 
So a couple days later, I see pictures on Facebook or wherever that he is in Colorado visiting this girl that he cheated on me with. Guys, we were basically engaged the week before. And now he's in Colorado with this girl. Apparently, she was a model as well. She was one of the models. Um, at this point in my life, I was 18. I had been around child models, professional models, actors for over 10 years. I was into that whole thing. And I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way. <laughs> but, you know, he said he was a fitness model. And he was a big, bulky dude. He wasn't tall. So so it was like a really print sports model is all that he really could be. Um, but this girl, she just was not a model. She didn't look like a model. I'm like, and I know that, God, this sounds so terrible. And I'm, I'm she just looked unhealthy. She looked unhealthy. She looked fake. I mean, she, it just wasn't, I was very thrown off. I was like, what? And my mom asked me, Lauren, have you, he's just like, Lauren, this girl is supposed to be modeling with him. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, have you ever looked up the company that he works for? He's, she's like, what if he's doing like porn? And we just kind of laughed. Ha 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 ha. And I knew the name of his boss. I knew the name of his boss. I knew the name of his company that he worked for, the production company. I had all of the pieces. For a year and a half, I had the puzzle pieces in my hands. I just never thought to put them together. So I decided to Google the name of his boss. Now, here is where shit goes downhill really fucking fast. So I find his, I Google his boss and a Wikipedia pops up and lo and behold, there is this man's name and also his alias. And his alias is actually the name of one of the top, not only adult film companies in the country, but one of the top gay adult film companies in the country. Now, immediately, I'm like, no fucking way. There's absolutely no way that this man that I've been involved with for a year and a half, who I was going to marry, could be involved in some shit like this. So we're going to call the company itself the cum dumpster. So (laughs) the cum dumpster. So I decide to click on this website, The Cum Dumpster, and there's two facets of this website. There are videos with just men, and then there is another side of the website that's mostly men with a couple of women sprinkled in throughout there. I go to click on the area where I can see all of the models and scroll through models, quote unquote. And I get to about the fifth page and (laughs) guys, it was May. It was May. So this pop-up pops up and it says in psychedelic colors, like summer of 69. And there's three men there. And one of them is my ex-boyfriend attached to another man's dick with his mouth. 
Yes. But guys, the brain is a fucking powerful thing. When it does not want to see something, it does not. Kind of like if you're asking me, you know, (laughs) weren't there red flags? Fuck yes, there were red flags. But like any good dumb fucking bimbo, I painted that shit green and ran through it like it was fucking six flags. I mean, of course there were things, but when you want to believe something so bad, your mind has a way of, of, of canceling anything that opposes that out. So guys, I clicked out of it. I clicked out of it and it was just like, it, I never saw it. I literally, it was as if I never fucking saw it. Like talk about cognitive dissonance. So I, I skipped to like the second or seventh, sixth or seventh page. And eventually there, lo and behold, is my ex-boyfriend's picture under a different name than what I knew him as. And when I tell you that there were hundreds of videos, thousands of pictures of my ex-boyfriend fucking an insane amount of people. I mean, guys, there was a nine guy orgy that was posted in the gym. In a gym, nine guys. Listen, I have had a threesome with two men and one penis is plenty. Two is is getting up there. Nine, can you imagine what you would do with nine dicks flying around? I mean, holy shit. Also, to add on top of this, of course I watched every video. I mean, your girl loves pain, okay? Um, And I got to see my ex with another man and also the girl that he, you know, quote unquote, cheated on me with over the weekend. And of course she was a porn star. So back when I was saying she didn't look like a model, what I actually meant was that she looked like a fucking porn star, okay? Um, So... I watch all of these videos, not before though. I, as soon as I saw this shit, I, my computer fell onto the ground and I shrieked and I crawled to the liquor cabinet in my mother's house and I drank whatever there was there. And this would be the beginning of what I refer to as my six months of darkness, because not only was it, you know, metaphorically dark in the sense that I was in a very bad place. But it was also dark in the sense that I was fucked up pretty much 24-7. I I dropped out of school. I was going fucked up to work. I mean, it was a nightmare. But before all of before the six months really got started, he came back from Colorado. I knew that he would reach out to me when he got back. That's just how he is. Um so I acted like nothing was wrong. And in the week in between when I found out and when he got back, I did my research and I found out that these guys who are flying to Vegas and having these giant orgies are all really young and they're also dating really young girls the way that I was young when I met Mr. Deception. He was 19 and I was 16 and in, and he got recruited to work for the cum dumpster when he was 18. And in most states, it's legal for an 18-year-old to fuck a 16-year-old. So you're telling me it's legal for a 16-year-old to be exposed to this lifestyle. And what's worse is that I was never even told that I was being exposed to this lifestyle. I was never given the opportunity if this is something I wanted to be involved in. And all of the sudden, all of the red flags started to make sense, right? Like he didn't want me to have friends. I went to school in Los Angeles And I had gay friends and he did not 
like that. And I did not know why we went to Palm Springs. And I remember one time in Palm Springs, which is like a gay capital. It's, he was very uncomfortable. And now I'm like, well, fuck. Yeah, he was, he was a very, he's a a well-known fucking gay porn star, which guys, mind you go off. If that's what you want to do, fine. But don't wrap up other people in your shit and certainly don't fucking lie about it when you are in a committed relationship. I mean, guys, when I went back to school and I told some friends what had happened and I pulled up his page and everything, one of the guys who identifies as gay knew who he was. He fucking knew who he was. In fact, he told me that the time that he had seen him pick me up from school, he looked fucking familiar and couldn't figure out where he knew him from. I am not fucking kidding you guys. So also other red flags since we're talking about them. I never saw any of his work. I never saw, you know, he was modeling for supplements and sports things and I never saw any of it. The one picture that I saw through our entire relationship was of him in a granite shower and he had his muscles like flexed. And of course that picture was cropped to be shown to me because the full picture, there was a man attached to his dick, obviously. So anyways, I had done all this research. I was going to expose the shit out of everyone involved in this. Basically, I put on my dick stomping boots and I was ready to ruin some motherfucking lives because I just did not care anymore. So when he got back, I acted like everything was gravy. I met him at a Starbucks. I was a little tipsy. I remember my outfit. I just show up there, 18 years old, ready to motherfucking kill a bitch. And I sat down and I asked him, you know, after a a few minutes of conversation, I asked him, you know, whether or not he had ever cheated before other than this one girl. And he looks at me and he says, Lauren, I never slept with another girl. And I looked at him and I said, I didn't say girl. And guys, I will never forget the chills that ran down my spine when this motherfucker, his smile, the smile that just crawled across his face. It was the most sinister thing I've ever seen in my life in the flesh. It was as if he had been playing a game this whole time. He was getting off to this game. The fact that I had all the pieces. I I talked to his boss. I talked to other models on the phone during our relationship. I knew all the details, never looked it up. No, even had I, guys, had I searched his real name in Google, I searched his real name in Google and somebody actually asked, who is this person from the cum dumpster? And somebody had answered Mr. Deception's name. So had I just taken a moment to fucking Google his, his fucking name, I would have figured everything out, but I didn't do that. You, you better believe I fucking Google literally everyone now. Uh, yes, that was me on your LinkedIn. Like, I am fucking fact-checking your ass. No doubt about it. So anyways, this motherfucker is the absolute definition of sociopath. He did not have an ounce of feeling, didn't give a shit. Like, he, this smile crawled across his face, and he just looked at me and he said, you know about the cum dumpster, don't you? And I was like, yes, I motherfucking do. 
and I am going to literally ruin your life. And <laughs> I told him that hell was going to break through and that I was going to break through it. Like that. <laughs> 18 years old, so bad. I also made him tell me where these bonuses were coming from because sometimes he would come home from Vegas and he would have these like fat bonuses. And he always told me that it was when the client was very happy or when he, you know, got to do an extra shoot or made extra sales with his modeling work or what the fuck ever. When in actuality, these bonuses were coming from taking fat fucking loads, like in the ass or in his mouth. Imagine that, guys. My ex-boyfriend, this man that I like was going to marry, taking fat loads in Vegas in the morning and then coming home and crawling in bed with me. Like what in the actual fuck? Um, so that night, guys, he was on a flight to Vegas. His boss flew him out there because this was some serious shit that I was getting ready to do. I mean, I'm sure there was it was going to blow up. Within a day or so, I had one of the top adult film industry attorneys calling me, sending me letters, harassing me, writing in letters, intimate details of not only my relationship with Mr. Deception, but also my life. And basically was threatening saying, if you do anything, we will destroy you. (laughs) Like you will be destroyed. So eventually I remember I got like, it was maybe, uh, maybe like the 10th letter in the mail one day. And it had in it just so, just dragging my character through the mud. And I left and I cried and I was in so much pain. And I just said, I can't do this. Like, I can't, I can't deal with it. I have, okay, I'm putting it to bed. I'm putting it to bed. I'm going to focus on surviving this, like surviving this pain. Not to mention These people have incredible resources. They can fuck over literally anyone they want, which is like in itself a problem. Like, who am I? This 18-year-old nobody trying to take down this like massive fucked up situation that's happening? Probably not. I should probably just focus on not dying myself at this point. And for the next several months, I, again, drank myself into oblivion I was waking up in random places with random men. I it got to a point where my grandmother called me one day and asked me if I needed to go to rehab, asked me to go to rehab. And I declined. In my mind, rehab was for people who wanted to get better. And I had no interest in getting better because I just didn't give a fuck about life anymore. To have experienced such deception and such lies at such an early age, it really like killed my hope for fucking humanity. And I just didn't want to be here anymore. I didn't want to live in a world where people could be this fucking evil. Um, I remember one day being at this party and sitting there and thinking that there's no way anything divine exists in this world because there's no way that this evil could also exist, right? I mean, when I say I didn't care what happened to me, one day I never saw Mr. Deception again after I left that Starbucks, except for the one time I was driving down a street in my town and his car had a rattle to it. And I heard this rattle and I realized that he was directly in front of me. And guys, I blacked out in rage. I 
something took over my body. I swerved out into the lane. We were in the turning lane and I swerved out into the, the lane to the right and I pulled up, looked over and made dead eye contact. And he turned left into a target parking lot. And I wasn't in the turn lane, but I went through that intersection and busted a bitch. Full on circle in the intersection, went into that target parking lot and I was looking for him. Guys, like I was looking for him and it is a gift from above that I did not find him in that parking lot. I was going to hit him with my car, guys. I hope that I can't go to prison right now for attempted murder, but I wanted to hit him with my car. Who knows what would have actually happened had I seen him, but it was dangerous. That's how much I did not care about what happened to me, about where I was in life. I was hanging on by a string until eventually my grandmother flew out to California from Mississippi and disguised it as just kind of a a visit, but really she was worried sick about me. And she came and was begging me to take her to church. And I was like, I don't fucking know the first place to start. One day, it was November 12th, 2012, I walked in to a church, a non-denominational Christian church. And that day, I just wept. I felt I did. I felt the divine reach out to me. I felt myself realizing that if I continue going down this path, I am going to die. Um, and it was like, okay, you know what? I'm at rock bottom. I'm going to give this divine thing a chance and see what the fuck happens. And full disclosure, I do not identify as religious or Christian any longer. However, I am in constant conversation with the source of this universe, the divine, I feel like it comes through in a multitude of ways. And at this time, it came through with my grandma begging me to take her to church. And I showed up there and I met a group of people who showed me love, who listened to me, who supported me, who did not make me feel like the broken, disgusting shit show that I felt that I was. And ultimately, these people saved my life. But still, for so long after that, this trauma came to define me. It became my story. Everything else about me that before I had loved and I thought was unique, all of that shit just went away. Even after I was recovering, I was just this broken, hurt, traumatized kid who didn't trust anybody, and who didn't really know how to function in this world anymore. And that lasted for years of me just using people the way I felt I had been used, of self-medicating. Even after that initial six months, you know, I didn't quit cold turkey. I, it just got a little bit less worse, but that darkness was always still there. A part of me feels like it's still here now, but eventually after hitting rock bottom and realizing that I had nowhere to go but up, I decided that I was not going to let this motherfucker win because he loved seeing me in pain that night. He loved seeing me in pain at that Starbucks that day. He had won 
What hurts me the most to this day is if we can journey back to that night that he saw me come home happy and he felt like he, he told me that he had too much respect for me and that he had to tell me the truth about this affair that he had. Again, he had too much respect for me and had to tell me about this affair that he had. And what I realized years later was that he didn't have respect for me. He saw that I was fine without him and he needed the final punch. He needed the final stab and he got it. I gave it to him. I was sitting there begging for him to feel bad about what he had done to me, wanting him to to beg for forgiveness and feel sorry as I'm sitting there just in pieces. And he slept like a baby. He was fine. He was so pleased with himself. The fact that that level of evil exists in this world fucks me up. And me becoming cold, me shutting myself down to love and to the good things in this world was exactly what he wanted. And I decided I was absolutely not going to give him that. And so I did everything I could to fucking rise. And guys, fucking hell, I did. I did. I got back into school. I made some of the most amazing friends that are still with me today. I have traveled the world. I have found my my voice. And also experiencing this trauma and experiencing being so far removed from life and not even wanting to exist here anymore has in the last several years allowed me to connect with others who are in the darkest of spaces. And it's taught me that, you know, nobody fucking connects to perfection. I've never seen somebody perfect and been like, oh yeah, like, or I've, I've never seen somebody who I thought was perfect. I've been like, oh yeah, this inspires me. Like I connect with people who have gone through fucked up shit, who have insane darkness inside of them, but who choose to shine anyways, because none of us are perfect. I feel like a lot of us are just walking around like everything's fine. And it's not. We're all suffering or struggling with something. And to be able to use that to connect with others and be like, you are not alone. That's what I wish I would have had in that moment. Like, I wish I, I wish I would have known that I was going to be okay because I just didn't. And 10 years later, exactly 10 years later, guys, actually, no, it's 10 years later since we started dating. It's about eight and a half since this whole thing happened. About nine, actually. Nine since it's almost, no, eight and a half. Wow. Math, not my thing. Um, <laughs> 10 years later, I'm fucking grateful. I am so grateful to have hit rock bottom at such a young age and to have experienced just how dark life can get when I was so young because it's given me the time to grow and evolve and truly emerge as the person that I am now. And if I ever saw this idiot again, I would just say thank you because I am now thriving and I can guarantee you that he's still the miserable cunt that he was on that day at Starbucks. But my highest self wishes him well. (laughs) My highest self hopes that he found whatever it is that he was looking for 
but most of me knows that he is probably still the same sociopathic, lying asshole of a fuckboy. And honestly, I believe in the karmic universe and I believe in karmic justice. And I know that he has everything coming to him that he has, has put out in the world. Law of attraction, baby. You attract what you are, not what you want. So if you are a toxic, sociopathic fucking maniac, you best believe that energy is coming right back to you and is going to manifest in your life in all sorts of fucked up ways. But listen, I could talk shit on him until I'm blue in the face, but this is not fucking about him. This is about me. And this is about the other queens in the world who have experienced fucking trauma and somebody fucking them over so badly and it feels like we can never get out. It feels like we will never move on or find anyone to love us again. And guys, that's just not fucking true. We will not let these people win, right? And it's up to us. It's up to us to band together and make sure that our fellow sisters and brothers are not becoming prey to people who do not have their best intentions. And also... Guys, 10 years ago, I, or eight years ago, whenever, I thought that I was nothing. I thought that I was less than nothing. I thought that my life was over. And now here I am, eight and a half years later, fucking thriving on my bitch shit like you would never believe. And do you know how fucking good it feels? It feels so fucking good. And even though I know there will be more pain in life, right? life is about waves. And right now I feel like I'm on, I'm on top of one. I am fucking riding it, but eventually it's going to feel like I'm riding it till the wheels fall off and there will be more low valleys. But the thing about low points is that if you embrace them and don't run from them and learn from them, you are given the tools. You learn how to survive in radical ways and you learn how to thrive You get the opportunity to see just what a bad bitch that you are and you realize that no one can take you out. It is up to you and you alone to make your life everything that you know it is fucking worthy of. So in these dark moments, I will always, I will always come back to the foundational truth that I am worthy of pleasure in this life. I am worthy of feeling good. I am worthy of feeling love and being love and being loved. I am worthy of all of that. And anybody who is in my life who is not serving that purpose or who does not see my worth, recognize my worth, is not going to be in my life anymore. I am not allowing myself to be used for somebody else's pure benefit. You know, no longer is my energy going to be sucked away by people who don't appreciate it and who don't value it. This whole journey has led me to believe that the saying, the cheesy saying, you accept the love that you believe you deserve is absolutely true. You know, uh, Miguel Ruz in The Mastery of Love, which is a great book, says that the limit of your self-abuse is the limit you will tolerate from other people. And the same is true for love. The amount of self-love that you have is the amount that you're going to require from other people. And so diving into yourself and diving into myself and allowing myself to get to the darkest parts of me and love me anyways has allowed me to be healthier in my relationships because I, if somebody is not loving me the way that I need to be loved or I, I'm worthy of being loved, bye. 
Like, good fucking bye. There's always problems and shit in relationships, but there is this foundational level of respect, foundational level of love that is going to have to be there if I'm going to engage in relationship with you and exchange energy with you. So that's the moral of the story, guys. The queendom journey is tough. It is messy. And sometimes there are ogres who come in the way and they're not nice ogres. They're not Shrek, okay? They're they're mean ogres. They're fucked up ogres. They're just ogres that are fucking blocking our path. You know what? We're gonna fucking stab them. We're literally going to put our dick stomping boots on and fucking crush these people. Wow, that was fucking aggressive. I just kind of shocked myself there, guys. Holy fuck. Disclaimer, I'm not actually going to stab anybody, but like metaphorically, like if you need a vibe check, you need a motherfucking vibe check. And sometimes a good dick stomping is what somebody needs. And that's just the way that it is. Guys, I hope that you enjoyed episode one of like Queendom. I am so fucking excited about where this is going. Um, Originally, I was really trying to define what this Queendom is going to be about, but I think to define something is to limit it. So we're just going to go with the flow. Um, Next episode that's released on this same day is about why I started an OnlyFans. Yes, you best fucking believe I did. You can see my middle fingers going up to society. We love it. And next week, my girl Maddie's going to be here while I tell her about how I got fucked up and caught them filios, them honey nut filios, and then got burned. Um, We're also going to be having an episode about Christianity and sex. My friend Brandon's going to be joining us. And then we're going to further that conversation with one of my best friends, Sam, um, about his sexuality and how that's tied into spirituality and religion as a pastor's kid. Guys, we have so much extremely fun shit coming. I am so ready. And I also want to hear from you. First of all, what toxic relationships have you been in? How did you get out of them? please let me know. Let's talk about this shit. We are in this fucking together. Also, guys, what would you like to talk about? Here on The Queendom, we are going to be talking about all things divine feminine energy, sex, love, life, travel, everything related to being as unladylike as possible, all of the taboo things that we were not allowed to talk about at the kitchen table. Well, now we're fucking talking about them and we don't give a fuck. So yeah, send it in, guys. Let's chat. Send me an email at queendomarmy at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at wonderlustinglow or join my Facebook group, Thy Queendom Come. With that, I will let you guys go. This has been Thy Queendom Come. I'm Lauren Morticini. And let's all go out there on our bitch shit and fucking thrive. Amen, amen. Catch you guys later.